rooted and built up in him. Somebody say rooted and built up. Notice he's saying you, you don't just have this, this flamboyant profession of faith, but you've got to have depth to your life. You've got to be rooted in something. You, you've got to get deeply rooted in Jesus so that he can build you up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. And here's the quality of all of it. Abounding in it with what? With thanksgiving. How do we abound in our walk with Jesus? Thanksgiving. How do we abound in being rooted and built up and established in our faith? With thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the, the, the component, the quality that allows for this abounding nature to unfold in our walk with God, in our establishment in the faith, in our being rooted and built up in Him. And so I want to talk to you this morning from this thought, and that is the living in the bounty of thanksgiving or of gratitude. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray right now, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that there would be a, an illumination of your word, that it would touch us right now. And Lord, that you would guide us through it, that you would speak to things that need to change in our own hearts, God, that you would shift us and direct us. We thank you for it, Lord, and we're asking you to help us to know how to apply it right now. In Jesus' name, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. And somebody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I've lived for 41 years, not a long time but long enough to realize a very important truth in life, I have discovered um, that thankful people are usually happy people. I've discovered that thankful people are, are usually people who tend to enjoy a greater measure of peace in their life and peace in their relationship with others. I've discovered that thankful people seldom make room for bitterness or resentment in their life. That thankful people are generally more empowered to forgive others than those who are less thankful. Thankful people are also usually humble people because they recognize that their blessings are not coming from themselves but from somewhere outside of themselves. There is just an abounding quality to thanksgiving. There's an abounding quality to nature. I've seen that thanksgiving and gratitude is a source of joy in our lives. We enjoy more when we are thankful. You believe that? I believe we, we genuinely enjoy more. Somebody once said that our society has more stuff than ever, but enjoys less than any other society at any other time because we have not tapped into that, that privilege or that virtue of gratitude in our lives. We are struggling many times with covetousness, with envy, with a sense of entitlement, and it robs from us the joy that we should experience over some of the, the, the precious but small things in life. We're constantly looking for the next thing, and our joy is repeatedly being stripped from us and stolen from us because we do not pause long enough to give gratitude and to express thanksgiving 
for what God has done in our life. My pastor used to tell me all the time, and I don't believe that he was talking about uh, uh, depression in a clinical sense, but my pastor used to say all the time, Joe, it is impossible for you to be grateful and depressed at the same time. It is impossible for you to be, or as we say in the South, grateful and in the molly grubs at the same time. You cannot do both simultaneously. There's something about gratitude that lifts us. There's something about gratitude that draws us out of the funk of depression or the blues. When we start counting our blessings, when we start genuinely, I'm not talking about lip service. I'm not talking about just saying it, but I'm talking about genuinely and honestly reflecting on the goodness of God. It is a transformative virtue in our life that begins to change the way we feel and change the way we think and ultimately change the way we act. There is this abounding quality to gratitude and thanksgiving. It brings joy. It brings peace. It brings a settledness to our heart and our spirit. It guards us. This abounding quality of thanksgiving, it serves as a sentry that guards our heart against feeling like we are never going to get enough. And there is this insatiable desire in all of us for something else. We don't know what that else is, but there's this longing and looking in humanity, right? It's constantly driving us, drawing us to the next thing. And gratitude helps guard against what the Bible calls covetousness. Now, the Word of God is replete with commandments. I mean, we're not talking about suggestions. We're talking about commandments for gratitude. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So if you've ever sat around and just pondered, hmm, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. I've got good news for you today. I can tell you exactly what the will of God is for your life. In everything, give thanks. And then he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will for his people those that he has worked with, those that he has redeemed, those that he has loved and saved, it is God's will for them to return thanks to him and to acknowledge the blessings of God in their life. That is one of the central wills of God for humanity. We know it is the will of God for no one to be lost, but for everyone to come to repentance. That is a general will of God for all of humanity. But so it can be said that it is the general will of God that every man and woman who professes Jesus as Lord would persistently and consistently live in a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. It is the will of God for your life that you live grateful. I think we need to really just kind of digest that. Because when we discover what the will of God is, 
we then discover what one of the primary tactics of the enemy will be. Because if it is God's will for you to be saved, then it is Satan's will for you to be lost. The thief cometh but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Right? So there's this antithesis. There's this conflict between the will of God and the will of Satan. So God's will is that we repent. Satan's will is that we continue in sin. God's will is that we are saved. Satan's will is that we are destroyed. God's will is that we are grateful. Satan's will is then that we are ungrateful, entitled, jealous, covetous, Put your label on whatever the antithesis of gratitude would be, and that is the will of Satan for your life. You say, well, you're going hard, Pastor. You're attaching demonic tones to ingratitude. Absolutely. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul warns us, of the perilous times or the dangerous times that would exist in the last days. And Paul says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And I've said it many times, but I can't read past this without stating it one more time. This always sort of cracks me up a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul who has the wounds in his body, the scars on his back, who's been beaten with rods, who's been whipped by the Jews 40 lashes, I believe four times, Jesus had that experience once. Paul had it four times. And Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, and says, Timothy, I'm really disturbed because there's going to be some terrible, terrible times in the last days. You're like, Paul, it's kind of terrible right now. Right? You've been beaten, you've been whipped, you've been shipwrecked. They're trying to kill you. They've stoned you and left you for dead. But you're worried about Timothy? And, and, and the, the terrible times, the perilous times that Paul is concerned about are not physical threats, but they are spiritual threats. Paul says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They're going to be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. You, you see, there's, there's, there's this tendency when you, when you aren't grateful for what you have, you lose control over yourself. You just keep wanting more. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And we say, oh yeah, man, our world is like that. Man, it's just, you turn on the TV or you, you go out into public and man, you see that in the world. You see that in all the secular music. But Paul's not talking about Hollywood here. Verse 5, he says they have a form of godliness but denying its power. He said, have nothing to do with such people. He said, this is going to be the state of those who have a form of godliness. 
And one of the qualities that he labels there is this quality of ingratitude. That they will be ungrateful. In his first letter, writing to Timothy, Paul takes it a little bit further. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Or the Spirit expressly says. Now when Paul says that, he's saying, look, this is not a general feeling that I have. As I'm writing this letter to you, I'm not writing to you. You know, there are times that I preach and I feel sort of a general direction from God. There are other times that I preach and God has given me specific things to say. Here, when Paul says the Spirit speaks expressly, Paul is saying this is a direct word from God. This is not a general Spirit-led feeling. I'm not just feeling this. I've got a word from God for you. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So he says in the last days, there are going to be people that are going to drift away from the, the biblical model of Christianity, and they're going to give heed to seducing spirits. And these, these doctrines of demons that speak lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he unpacks what some of these lies and these doctrines of demons are going to look like. He says they, they will start forbidding marriage. They will start commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received. With what quality? With thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received what? There's the, there's the, the sanctifying quality. With thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Now Paul here addresses a demonic strategy that works in the church even today. It deceives Christians into abstaining from things that God has graciously given to them to enjoy. Now, I, I, I don't want to get into the debate on, on you know, marriage, and some people feel called that God has called them to be single. I honor that. Some people feel called to abstain from certain things. I honor that. But where, we, where we've got to be careful is where we start developing a religious philosophy that says these things are mandated in order to please God. Here in, the, here in this text, Paul addressed those teachers who are operating under demonic activity to convince Christians that certain things should be abstained from, things like marriage and certain foods. They were keeping Christians, here's the, here's the rub, they were keeping Christians from fully enjoying what God had provided. And Paul said that these things should be enjoyed under the control of God and with thanksgiving. So we should enjoy things under God's control. That doesn't mean you go out and you, 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 you snort a line of cocaine and say, well, I'm doing it with thanksgiving. It should be done under the control and the leadership and the guidance of the Word of God. And it should be sanctified with thanksgiving. But Paul is not dealing specifically with the issues of food and marriage here. Paul is dealing with the demonic strategy that seeks to get the church focused on what it cannot do. 
instead of enjoying and celebrating what it has been given and what it can do. There is a demonic strategy afoot even today in our culture that wants to turn our attention away from the gifts that we have been given, the blessings that we do enjoy, the things that God has done for us and is presently doing in our lives and get us distorted and distracted so that all of our energy and all of our focus is on what we cannot do and what we do not have in our life. If we are focused more on the restrictions of a Christian life than we are on the privileges of living for God, then we have fallen prey to one of the age-old Ponzi schemes of Satan. The Christian life should not be measured by what we do not do. Now, we're a holiness church. And I believe there are things that we do abstain from. But those are things that we do. There are restrictions in the Christian life. I mean, even if we take, you know, lifestyle out of the equation, I mean, things like worshiping other gods, right? There are restrictions in the Christian life. But the Christian's focus should not be on those restrictions. Our focus should be on the blessings of God in our life. The privileges, because what happens is when we focus on the restrictions or we focus on the boundaries, uh, we start feeling deprived. We need to learn how to enjoy the privileges of grace, the privileges of worship, the privileges of anointing, the privileges of God, the privileges of prayer in our life. This has been Satan's scheme from the beginning. All the way back in the garden, Satan convinced Eve to question the goodness of God. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now notice The Lord said she couldn't eat of how many trees? Of one. But Satan, it doesn't mention, he doesn't come to her and say, I'm not saying that you're Eve. But he doesn't, you're just handy. Satan comes to her, he doesn't say, you know, the Lord, the Lord has given you all of these trees. Look at all this. But, you know, you've got one little old tree over here that you can't eat of. That's not the context he put it in, is it? The context was the Lord is not letting you eat of every tree of the garden. He doesn't doesn't qualify it as one tree among many. But he's just pointing out the one restriction. And making it feel bigger. He's pointing out the one area of supposed lack in her life and making it feel bigger. And doesn't Satan do that to us? I've had moments where I feel like, man, my life is just terrible. That sounds crazy to some of you. You're like, he's a pastor. He's, man, I've had moments where I just want to go suck my thumb in a corner somewhere. 
and, and, and I feel like I've not had a break, and I feel like things aren't going very well, and don't tell me for one minute in your Sunday best that you haven't had moments like that in your life. Where every one of us sometimes find ourselves falling prey to the same tactic of the enemy that gets us focused on one, two, a dozen things in our life that are not meeting our desires or not, are not where we want it to be and we get focused and obsessed on it instead of learning how to run around the garden and celebrate what God has already done in our life. There is a satanic strategy behind ingratitude. Because if Satan can get you ungrateful, he gets you rebellious. Just let that sink in. If he can get you ungrateful, he gets you rebellious. Because you then become self-sufficient. You then become the arbiter of your own future. You then become the, the fulfiller of your own desires. You lose patience. You stop waiting. And all of a sudden, you have slipped into the ploy of Satan. And how many times does Satan rob us from enjoying the many blessings that we have because we are simply stuck on what we don't or what we cannot have? We, we see this, this is a devast, it has devastating spiritual consequences. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. We could unpack that. That's a powerful scripture. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's saying, listen, God has revealed himself to everyone, even if it's by way of creation. You can walk out and see a sunrise, a sunset. You can see the, the splendor of nature. You can watch the diversity of life. You can see the, the brilliance and the organization of the human body. And it speaks to a creator. God reveals himself to us in creation. The Bible says that his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So everything that we see, all the things that are made, hear me now, all of the things that you see in life, the rivers, the valleys, the scenery, the the the. the things of your own comfort in life, people around you, family members, they are all made to reveal the glory of God. Everything is made in one way or another to reveal the glory of God. Look at a child and you can see the glory of God. You look at some animals and you can see the glory of God. Look at nature, you can see the handiwork of God. And so he goes on to say that these people who are suppressing truth and unrighteousness, they're not acknowledging God in creation, in other people around them. They're not acknowledging the handiwork of God. They're not seeing God in his creation. He says they're without excuse. So, so when they come, when God appears before them someday and says, hey, you know, there was one atheist said that, you know, somebody asked him, well, what would you do if when you died you go to heaven and, and there's God? What would you say to him? And the atheist said, I would simply say, why have you hidden yourself? 
and that would be a very foolish thing to say to a God that has revealed himself so beautifully in nature and in creation. And so he says they're going to be without excuse if they say that. Verse 21, because although they knew God, he's revealed around them. Everything is declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. It all is declaring the glory of God. Because that although they they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. That's the problem. The problem is that most atheists, if you really dig down deep somewhere on the inside, they believe there is a creator somewhere. But there is a rebellious strain inside most of us that struggles to truly glorify him as God. Because that when they knew him, they did not glorify him as God. Watch this. What's that next phrase? Nor were they, wow, thankful but they became futile or empty in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Let me just say something. Man left alone, autonomous, evil, and we are, we have a fallen nature. Autonomous, fallen man always loses sight of gratitude, which then leads to idolatry or the worship of other things. And we we see this in our culture. Our culture has, has lost the sense of being created. And I'm just going to talk to you this morning I, I taught a series some time back, and, and I, and I want to I just impress this little nugget in your mind. One of the greatest identities that you'll ever fully embrace is that of a creature. Somebody say creature. I'm a creature. Somebody say, well, you're not telling me anything new. I've known that for a long time. I'm a creature. I'm not the creator. I'm not the master. I'm not an accident of a biological process. I'm created. And understanding my created nature is powerful because it then points to a creator and it directs me to my maker. And so the concept of evolution naturalism that is working in our education systems in our world today is really a strain of rebellion that leads to the worship of the creature instead of the creator. We exalt humanism, human expression, human ideas, human advancement, human technology, but we do so at the decline of our focus on the creator. And it is a strain of rebellion, and it leads to this futility of mind. And I've got to get off this passage because I get stuck here. But, but it, it leads to this futility of mind where we start thinking crazy thoughts. You see, when you, don't, when you don't recognize God as God and you don't thank God for being God, you open yourself up to some craziness in your thought life. I mean some absolute absurdity. Brother Harris, she showed me a video in my office yesterday morning. Was that absurd or what? 
It was on a primetime news show. One of the one of the men interviewing a college professor at a uh, very prestigious university, and was talking about gender identity, and uh, asking some questions. And this person was talking about self-identifying and uh, choosing your own gender. And and this this uh, talk show host just began to ask some very logical questions. So if if I can determine, there was a, recently a person who was applying for. Um, some sort of a uh, scholarship at a school because uh, he identifies as a Filipino woman. And it's not just a woman, but a Filipino woman. And it's, it's a Caucasian man who now identifies as a Filipino woman and wants some, some benefits as a result of that identification. And um, so the question is, I mean, if, if I decide to identify, you know, as an African-American female, you know, can I qualify both for, for the loans that go to uh, women in business through our government? Can I also qualify for um, educational scholarships that are set aside for African-American people? Do, do I have this ability just to self-identify and, and basically take from them what has been set aside for them because I'm now self-identifying as them? And the, the prof professor said, absolutely, this is America. People need to have the freedom to identify as whatever they want to be. And he said, well, at any point, do we try to keep anything grounded in an objective truth anymore? And the answer was, was no, because people need to have the freedom to identify. He said, well, if I wanted to identify as an animal, could I? And she said, absolutely. This is who's teaching our students. He said, could I identify as a superhero? Absolutely. He asked if he could identify as Napoleon. And if others should have to respond accordingly. And she said, absolutely. This is the kind of foolishness that happens when people disconnect from acknowledging creator. When people disconnect from giving glory to the maker. When people disconnect from being grateful to God for what he has done and who he has made them in their life. It leads to what Paul said is they get darkened in their thoughts, professing themselves to be wise. They become fools. So we need to cultivate because our culture is in crisis when it comes to recognizing God and being grateful to God. Satan is at work in trying to deceive people and even Christians, getting them dissatisfied and constantly looking for that, that missing piece that makes life better. And all the while missing the piece that is there. And there, there, there are qualities to thanksgiving, and I'm going to hurry. First of all, thanksgiving allows faith to abound. Faith produces thanksgiving. You see, when I, when I recognize God, when I believe in God, I can't help but be grateful to him for giving me life. I, faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And sometimes, listen, we are too hung up in our American culture of being thankful for only the things that we can see. What about the invisible things? What about being thankful for the things that we don't see? What about being thankful for the things that we aren't 100% sure of? But because we believe God is there 
and angels encamp round about them that fear him. I can be grateful every day for divine protection. I don't see divine protection every day, but I can be thankful for things that I do not see. I never, I never physically saw the blood-stained cross, but I can be thankful for an old rugged cross that my eyes have never seen. I can be thankful for mercy. I can be thankful for heaven. I've never been to heaven, but I can be thankful for it because I've got faith. Faith allows me to be grateful for things that I cannot see. Because I've got faith, I'm grateful for things. And some people simply believe because they have no other option. But other people, they genuinely believe and it produces gratitude. It produces this abounding quality in their life that leads to, leads to more faith. You see, the beautiful thing about this, this symbiotic relationship between faith and thanksgiving is that when you have faith, it leads to thanksgiving, and when you have thanksgiving, it builds your faith. Isn't that beautiful? Watch this in Philemon, verse 6, one of my favorite verses in the extensive book of Philemon. Philemon, verse 6, that the sharing, this is out of the New King James, that the sharing of your faith may become more effective. Well, that sounds good. I want my faith to be more effective. I mean, faith pleases God. Faith works miracles. Faith does all kinds of things. Faith opens doors spiritually. So I want my faith to be more effective. He says that the sharing of your faith may become more effective. How? By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. When I begin to acknowledge the goodness of God, when I begin to acknowledge the blessings of God in my life, when I begin to recognize God and give thanks to him, it makes my faith more effective. I'll never forget one time years ago I got a job that I shouldn't have gotten. And a man, I told a man that I'd just gotten this job and I, I shouldn't have gotten it. I wasn't qualified for it. I didn't have the seniority for it. And th- uh, this man came to me and said, how did you get that position? I said, I've got connections. And at first, he thought I was talking about real sort of organizational political connections. And then he, I just put my eyes back up like that again. He said, get out of here. He said, you don't really think God gave you that job. And I said, well, who else should I give credit for it? I mean, I don't, I can't guarantee you that God worked a miracle, but but I I might as well give God credit for it because he allowed me to be there. He opened the door somehow. He didn't stop it, so I might as well focus on God. In every moment, in everything, give thanks. Because it will, and the more of God you recognize in your life, the stronger your faith will become, the more able you will be to stand against hardships and challenges and look at lack and not be intimidated by it because you have, you have created a process and a culture in your life of recognizing the goodness of God. Faith or thanksgiving allows faith to abound. Thanksgiving is the key to effective prayers. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. How? With thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known unto God. I won't spend a lot of time on this because I've preached it many times in the past. But listen, you can pray with the wrong motive or you can get your prayers sanctified with thanksgiving. See, what prayer does or what thanksgiving does is many times our request, what are requests? They are a revelation of need. Right? Request is a revelation of lack. Request is a revelation of a limitation. I'm limited on my money, and God, I need you to help me pay the bills. I've got a lack in my life. And there's nothing wrong with sharing your lack with God. You are challenged, encouraged, called by God to do so. You should share your lack. You should talk about your need with God. But you should not do so in an isolated sense. Because if all you ever talk about is what you lack, you start poisoning your own spirit in prayer. Because that's all you ever talk about is what you don't have. Your entire relationship with God is focused on limitations and barriers and lack and need. And so your prayer becomes effective when you balance your lack, your limitations, with a recognition and an acknowledgement of God's goodness and God's blessing and God's mercy in your life, you create this powerful balance of both saying, God, I've got areas where I need you, I need something in my life, but I do not want to overlook and I do not want to get so focused on what I don't have that I fail to mention what you've already done in my life. And I want to be balanced, and I want my prayer to be effective. And so thanksgiving is the key to effective prayer. It's the key to allowing faith to abound. And thanksgiving is our way of honoring God. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God. What is that? That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I think that our praise should be more than cruise control praise. I think that we Pentecostals should do more than just learn a couple of good words. Thank you, Jesus, or, or hallelujah, 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 praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God. There ought to be more to it than that. There ought to be a recognition of the goodness of God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't say the same thing sometimes that we can't say. I love to say, Jesus, there's nobody like you. I'll say that a lot, but I mean it when I say it. It's not just repetition. I've come to a place where I recognize the uniqueness of God in my life. And I want to say things, God, you've been so good to me. Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy in my life. We ought to name some things in our praise because it honors God when we do. It is a sacrifice, a praise. This, this fruit of our lips, it's not just our thoughts. And that's, that's a whole other message. I preached on verbal prayer not long ago, but let's talk about verbal praise for a minute. Listen, you shouldn't praise in your brain. You ought to praise with your mouth. You ought to have your brain and your mouth at work. You ought to have your heart at work. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Uh, it ought to involve all of you. Jesus, uh, I'm not just reciting hollow words, uh, but this is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I believe about you. And it's a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's what he desires and it is what he deserves but there are barriers that we have to overcome. Oh, you okay? Good, I'm glad you're okay. There are some barriers that we have to overcome if we're going to enjoy the, the bounty. It, it, let me just go back here to the bounty concept. If, 
if you are living grateful, if you develop this spirit of gratitude in your heart, you will never feel like you don't have enough. I mean, I, I remember going to the Philippines, Michael. You remember the, 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 the wonderful, beautiful spirit of some of the people that we met in the Philippines. They didn't have two nickels to rub together. Extremely poor in some of those places. And um, I remember going to church one Sunday morning. And, and I, Michael, I think you'd gone to preach in another place. And we traveled across Manila, which is a little bit of a... a, a a traffic war zone in many respects. And we, we got to the, to the place where we, we were going to preach and worship, and we had to climb three or four flights of concrete stairs to the, to the top room of this, this very dilapidated concrete building. And it was a room probably the size of our conference, no, maybe twice the size of our conference room, uh, not much bigger than that, and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 to 140 people packed into that room. And the music was so loud that I literally had to put my fingers in my ears because I, I thought I was going to damage something. It was extremely loud, and it was very hot. I mean, just sweat instantly pouring off of you as you got into that room with all those people. And they were just singing, it's great to be a Christian. And I remember tears starting to run down my cheeks as I saw people who had had to almost beg rides to church that morning, who didn't have transportation. There was no parking lot for the church. And they were in there just jumping up and down saying, it's good to be a Christian. It's good to be a Christian. They had tapped into a joy and a bounty that sometimes we miss because we have we have succumbed sometimes to the snare of the enemy, to the culture that we live in that pushes us to being satisfied by things and by achievements instead of by God himself. And if we're going to be, if we're going to break into this bounty, we're going to have to deal with a couple of things. Number one, we're going to have to deal with self-sufficiency. We're going to have to deal with self-sufficiency. The Bible says that the Lord for Israel, Israel was ungrateful. You remember God fed him every day? I mean, how many of you would be happy if God fed you every day? You never had to go to the grocery store. You never had to pay for it. You just walked outside your door and your groceries were on the sidewalk every single morning. Ham and eggs waiting on you. I'm not sure he was giving them ham. <laughs> Lamb and eggs. Waiting on you every morning. Just there. They got up. They went out. There was their food for 40 years. For 40 years. But the children of Israel were not happy about that. Because even when they were in the middle of the greatest miracle of the Old Testament, and I believe it was, it lasted longer than any other miracle affected more people than any other miracle ever affected in the Old Testament. I believe it was the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. Here they are in the middle of the greatest miracle and they're grumpy and they're cranky and they're dissatisfied and they're saying, God, we don't want manna, we want meat. And God gets so mad at them at one point, it's almost comical, but it's not, that literally the Bible says that God rained down quail on them until it ran out of their noses. Don't tell me God doesn't have a little bit of a sense of humor. You can read that, that's in the Bible where he stuffed them so full of quail, they didn't ever want to see a quail again. 
and, and God suffered them. The Bible says he suffered them to hunger. He allowed them to go in the wilderness, and he suffered them to hunger so that he could teach them one principle, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. He was teaching them, you don't live by your stores of food. You don't live by your bank account. You don't live by the things that you possess. You live by my working in your life, by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. And when you can learn to live by the word of God, you are no longer held prisoner to the things of this world, the the old things of Egypt, the possessions of the future, the hope of things getting better, but you get satisfied with the presence of God. And God was trying to teach them to be sufficient or dependent upon him and not sufficient in themselves. They could never store that manna. It would rot. And God was wanting to teach them dependence. God, give us a rebirth of dependence. Two, Two other quick things, and I'm done. We have to deal with entitlement. Esau felt entitled. Esau was born with a privilege and a birthright. And he didn't appreciate that privilege. And so he eventually sold it. But think about this. He sold his birthright to his brother, but he still expected the blessing. You sold that, Esau, but he still felt entitled to the blessing from his father. How many of us give up things and we do things, and yet we still expect God we sell things, but we, we want God to treat us just like we never sold it. We want the Father to treat us just like we never gave up the birthright. We don't want anything to ha- we don't want any consequences. We don't, and if God does, then we get angry at God. If the Father refuses to bless our sell of a birthright, then we get angry. I could preach a whole message on that. We get angry at the Father for, for not honoring us. Esau felt entitled to a blessing. He felt entitled to the birthright. It caused him to give these things up. Eventually, when his father wouldn't give him the blessing, his entitlement caused him to become angry and bitter, and he turned into a fornicator, the Bible says. We have to deal with entitlement. We are not entitled to anything. Everything we get from God is grace. It is a blessing. We have to deal with covetousness. This 10th commandment of the 10 commandments, it's the only one that doesn't deal with an act. It deals with the heart. Because that's where it all starts. He says, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Those are acts. But then he comes to the last one and he says, do not covet Don't let it get in your heart. Don't let it get in your spirit because it'll eventually draw you away to committing the act. So we have to be mindful of dealing with these things, covetousness and self-sufficiency and entitlement in our own lives. And lastly, if we are ever going to operate in the bounty of gratitude, we have to get one principle one principle firmly seated in our spirit. And that is the everything principle. David prayed this in 1 Chronicles 29, 12. David said, this is at the end of his life. David is not going to be allowed to build the temple, which was his deepest passion. Has God ever told you you couldn't do something that you really wanted to do? How does it make you feel? 
David was human just like you. God told him, you can't do this. I'm not going to let you because you got blood on your hands. So David set about storing up wealth so that his son could build the temple. And this is David's prayer. 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Both riches and honor come from you, talking to God. And you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Watch this. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. David says, God, I'm putting all this wealth aside to build you a temple, and I thank you. But Lord, I recognize in this moment of gratitude that I really don't have anything to give you, but that everything that I have to give you, you first gave to me. I've only given to you what you originally gave to me. And Lord, I'm grateful that you allowed me to be a custodian and a steward for a moment of your wealth and of your blessings and that I could return it back to you. I'll tell you where gratitude comes from. Gratitude comes from this revelation that everything that I have, everything that I will ever have, everything that I have ever had belongs to and comes from God. The breath in my body is breath on loan from God. The strength that I have today to walk is given to me on loan from God. The moment that I have with my children today is a gift from God. And everything, when I understand that everything is His, it births in me a spirit of gratitude because I can look at everything, everything that is not deadly, everything that is not destructive. And I say, God, you are giving me life. You're giving me breath. You're giving me a church. You're giving me salvation. You're giving me relationships. And I want to give back to you because you have so generously given to me. James says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Gratitude is recognizing that everything you are, everything you have comes from God. And once you lose sight of God as your source, we easily slip into self-sufficiency and into rebellion. So how do we know, and I'm coming to a close, musicians come, how do I know if I'm in the ungrateful category? Well, maybe just do a brief evaluation this week. Do I talk more about what God has given me than I do what I hope God will give me? Do I talk more about the blessings of God than I do the, 
the wickedness of people or circumstances around me? Where's my focus? You see, we, we often, we see it and we, we're not really fair to God. Because how often do we call out God's lack of performance in our life? God, where were you at? God, why didn't you do this? We're quick to call God out when he doesn't meet our expectations. But as long as God makes the, makes the business run smooth, we're like, God's just doing what God's supposed to do. We don't give him near as much recognition for the good as we do the lack. We're quick to say, God, you didn't take care of this lack. And I think we need a little more balance sometimes in our, in our mindset, our attitude, our outlook. And if we are, if we are to abound, then we're going to need to break into some of these areas where we're saying, God, everything I have is yours. I'm going to read to you one, maybe two more scriptures. Colossians 3, verse 14. Just would you, would you close your eyes for a moment and would you just let me read this and just let God talk to you? This is out of the message. Colossians 3, 14. He says, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It is your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Cultivate thankfulness. How do we do that? Verse 16, let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. The New King James, verse 16, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we cultivate thanksgiving? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything in everything. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Just felt to challenge our, our church family today to be reminded of our need for gratitude in our life. And maybe you want to spend some time with the Lord this week just saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to self-evaluate. I'm willing to let you search my heart. I don't ever want to fall victim to the snare of the devil. I don't want to get so caught up in things that I don't have that I lose sight of the privilege and position that you've given to me. Lord, I want to I see things the way they really are and not the way the world or, or the enemy would paint them. I want to have the right view. I want to see things correctly. 
I want to cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving in my life. With your eyes closed, would you just open your heart right now and would you just ask the Lord in your own way to search you, to evaluate if there's anything in you that has been stealing from you the joy and the bounty that God intends for you to live with. The enemy would love to steal the the bounty, the blessings, the privilege that we have as we walk in gratitude. When we walk in gratitude, we see God is so good that gratitude just opens our eyes to it. Gratitude is not inventing something that it's not there. It's just recognizing what is there all the time. And it creates a joy in us and a peace in us and a fullness in us that nothing else can provide. And I pray God's blessings in your life today, but I I pray more than that. I pray a recognition in my heart and in your heart of the blessings that already exist. I want to open this altar for a moment, and could we just gather around the front? Could we say, God, today, today and this week as we go into this season of commemorating a time of thanksgiving I I do want to be focused I, I want some things to shift in me I want to be reminded of some things I, I don't want to be I don't want to be poisoned in my spirit I, I, I don't want to get a bad attitude I I want to make sure God that I'm, I'm washed by your word that that I'm walking in you that I'm doing so in gratitude that that I'm rooted that I'm built up in you that I'm steadfast in the faith that I'm abounding in thanksgiving Oh, God, let that quality rest upon us as a church. Let us be people that are grateful for every good gift and every blessing in our life. I want my eyes to be upon you, God, in all of your splendor, in all of your goodness, in all of your kindness. I want to make sure, God, that I don't fall victim to the snare of the enemy. Lord, I'll deal with any entitlement that I've got. I'll deal with covetousness in my own heart. I'll I'll deal with self-sufficiency. I'll fall upon the rock. I'll be dependent upon you. I need you, Jesus. And I worship you, Lord. Because you do guarantee all sufficiency. You guarantee all sufficiency in our lives. And I worship you, Lord. I worship you and I thank you, God, for things that I don't even see. I thank you for heaven. I thank you for the blood. I thank you, God, for angels. I thank you, Lord, for your power. I thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for access to the throne of God. I thank you today, God, for mercy. I thank you for your unending faithfulness in my life. I thank you, Lord, that you've been so good. I bless you and I worship you. Come on, maybe right where you are, you want to build an altar of thanksgiving. Lord, I adore you. I bless you, Jesus. I worship and I exalt you. Let the fruit of my lips give thanks to your name today. Mighty God, I thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, there's something powerful about saying it. If you've not let those words roll off your tongue, the writer of Hebrews said, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Why don't you begin to create an atmosphere of thanksgiving with your words? Lord, I bless you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, for every good gift. I thank you, Lord, for saving me from complete destruction. I thank you, Lord, for where I could have been today. But you intervened in my life. I thank you, Lord, for a witness that got a hold of my spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. 